Welcome to the Joy Joya podcast, where jewelry is joy and everyone is encouraged to add more polish and sparkle to the world with topics ranging from marketing tips to business development, best practices and beyond. This is the go-to podcast for ambitious jewelry industry dreamers like you. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 183. And today I'll be sharing my interview with a very special guest who I met through his contributions to In-Store Magazine. More about him and his background later in the episode, but in the meantime, I want to give you a preview of what we're going to cover before I get to his bio. What he's doing to reinvent the retail experience in 2022 and beyond, why traditional marketing, as opposed to digital marketing, is more relevant than ever before and needs to work alongside digital, how you can go about testing traditional marketing efforts like radio, TV, and direct mail, what to expect when experimenting with a new marketing method, what it's like to be part of a mastermind or performance group, and much more. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and a video component, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners and viewers, and you can always support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. Moving forward, I'll be reading some of my favorite reviews and even creating new episodes based on recommendations and topic suggestions that Joy Joya podcast fans leave in those reviews. So please let me know what you want to hear or see in the future. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. During this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that's just impressing me, whether with their marketing or some kind of new initiative, product, collection, whatever that may be. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. So this week's Sparkle Award goes to eBay, which recently announced, and I saw this in an article in JCK, but was kind of hearing the buzz about this even before I saw the article. They announced that fine jewelry is now part of their authenticity guarantee. It's the fifth category to be part of this authenticity guarantee, coming behind sneakers, watches, handbags, and trading cards. This makes me so excited because I love buying jewelry from eBay. It's one of my favorite places to shop for jewelry. Quote, jewelry is one of eBay's most popular categories with an average of 7.8 million fine jewelry listings on the marketplace daily. In 2021, it sold 
eight fine jewelry items every minute and sold 4.2 million fine jewelry items for the year, end quote. Can you believe that? That is so much jewelry being sold on the eBay marketplace. So eBay is collaborating with the GIA to verify the condition, quality, and accuracy of an eBay fine jewelry listing for potential buyers. The authenticated jewelry will be marked with authenticity guarantee badge, and it also receives an authentication card with a QR code that allows the buyer to see documentation. Tiroth Kamdar, general manager of luxury at eBay says, the launch of authenticity guarantee for jewelry is an incredible milestone and we're thrilled by the immediate positive response we have seen from our communities of buyers and sellers. So how does it work? New and pre-owned fine jewelry sold for more than $500 is eligible for this service. Auction items are also included if the item sells for more than $500. Only items from U.S. sellers going to U.S. buyers are eligible, and if an item does not match the listing or if its authenticity cannot be verified, the item is sent back to the seller and the buyer receives a refund. The coolest thing about all this, eBay covers all costs of the authentication process. It's really doing a lot to inspire trust in customers in the jewelry space and also to trust the resale market, providing new opportunities for sellers. I love it. As I mentioned, you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles. The first one comes from Business of Fashion, and it's called Fashion should pay attention to Instagram's content troubles. So I don't know if you've noticed, I've definitely noticed this and heard from a lot of people that users have really been complaining about the Instagram user experience lately. So their feeds are filling up with ads and suggested posts with little clear relevance to them. This has been my experience as well, especially with those joint posts or I can now I cannot remember what it's called, but when you can do like a post together with another account and I don't know who that person is and they're not relevant to me, but it still shows up in my feed because I follow one of those two accounts. I hate those posts. I wish they would go away. Can anyone relate to that? Instagram is still a larger platform than TikTok with more users, but TikTok definitely had more downloads in Q1 of this year. And here's why I'm mentioning TikTok. For fashion, the trend forecasters out there are starting to turn to TikTok instead of Instagram, which they had used a lot previously. Here's a great quote from the article. These days, TikTok is the place where trends like coastal grandma with its breezy, beachy minimalism seem to bubble up. The app holds an outsized sway over young shoppers too. In a survey last year, 39% of the Gen Z respondents said TikTok videos were among the influential factors that would get them to buy a new product. Instagram ads and Instagram influencers trailed behind at 23% and 22% respectively, end quote. For many years, as you can imagine, or you've probably noticed, 
Instagram's visual format combined with its reach has made it one of the most important social platforms for fashion brands that are looking to connect with audiences. But that is rapidly changing as TikTok gains more ground and really becomes the place where trends start to happen. So really interesting to think about. I'm going to talk about TikTok again. So the next article comes from Tube Filter. It's called TikTok isn't just challenging YouTube for views, it's impacting Google search traffic too. If you have customers in younger demographics like Gen Z and even some younger millennials, you'll want to think about how members of these demographics are actually using search platforms, I'm sorry, using social platforms to search for things as opposed to searching for products and things they want to buy via Google. So they're increasingly turning to social media when they want to find hot new stuff in their area or things they want to buy rather turning to that search bar. And they're looking on TikTok or Instagram. It's really interesting to think about SEO from this perspective. A lot of brands are focused on optimizing their search engine presence and coming up high in search engine results. And I think that as long as people are using Google, that will continue to be relevant. And Google is also innovating its shopping platform to kind of keep up with these changing consumer behaviors. But it's really important to think about how TikTok and Instagram could actually be their own search engines and Pinterest as well. I didn't even mention that for your products and for your brand and consider how you can be found on there and what your target customer might actually be searching for when they're looking for things that you sell. And then the last article comes from Fast Company and it's called Influencers Are Out, Authenticity Is In. I have to like I have to share this article with a grain of salt because I still think there's a place for influencer marketing, especially for micro influencers. And it's something I recommend to select brands. So I'm going to say, don't take this head sensational headline too seriously, but I would say definitely the influencer marketing economy is shifting quote unscripted, off-the-cuff content blew the direct response style content away in all our metrics. And that is from an agency that creates paid social ads with user-generated or influencer content. They have found that the more natural, like genuine customer testimonials perform much better in the ads that they publish instead of when they pay like big influencers to do some kind of testimonial for them. Wagering on less expensive deals with amateur creators, blanketing the internet with relatable, authentic feeling content that's optimized for conversion, and that's a quote from this article, is really where this economy of influencers is heading. I think brands, instead of looking for follower accounts, they're actually asking for examples of content because they just want to have partners that can create great content for them. And the follower counts don't necessarily matter so much because it's hard to see return on investment anyway. What's important to remember, whether you work with an influencer or a smaller content creator, or you're sourcing user-generated content from your customers, is that the one and done approach where you just do like a one-off post with someone 
it's not going to work. This has to be like a consistent, repeatable effort in order to get noticed and build trust with your customers. So those are my three articles for this week. You can find the links in the show notes if you want to check them out yourself. So let's get back to the main content of this episode. As I mentioned at the beginning, my guest, I was trying to tease him a little bit. I met him or learned about him through his column in In In-Store Magazine. His name is Tom Duma. D-U-M-A. He's the president of Tom Duma Fine Jewelers in Warren, Ohio. He's written for In-Store Magazine about topics like calculating return on investment for marketing, getting five-star reviews for your business, and leveraging traditional marketing, which is the topic that Tom and I mostly are going to talk about today. After retiring from professional motorcycle racing in 1982, Tom entered the family business, channeling his competitive energy into selling jewelry. A local landmark for more than 100 years, the store saw moderate success until Tom chose a different path forward. He purchased a store from his father and went on to completely reinvent the retail experience. Bringing in designers and international architects, he transformed the family business into a luxury destination, even qualifying as in-store magazines, America's coolest stores in 2007. Today, Tom continues to redefine what it means to be successful, watching his business grow year over year with new avenues of outreach, marketing, and brand development. Without further delay, let's get to my interview with my guest, Tom Duma. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you as a guest. Well, thank you uh, for the invite. Uh, I'm equally excited as well. Yeah. So tell our listeners and viewers a little bit more about your store. Um, Yeah, let's start there. Tell us about your store. So... It's my 42nd year in the jewelry business. Um, I came into my father's business in uh, the early 80s, actually 1980 uh, to be exact. And uh, him uh, and myself, my wife at that particular time, my sister and her husband, uh, all were one big happy family uh, working with with my dad. And uh, in 1986, he decided to retire officially for the first time. And then, so we bought him out. And as we went down the road, uh, we got close to the year 2000 and my sister and her then husband uh, didn't work out in their marriage, ended up getting a divorce and our business, we didn't have a buy-sell agreement or any of those good things that you should have in all of your business. If you have a partner, make sure you have a buy-sell agreement. Uh, So you learn these lessons, right, as as you journey. Uh, through that uh, process. And uh, we had to have a liquidation of that corporation in order to settle the assets of the family and settle that corporation. So when uh, that happened, finalized in 2002, right after Mother's Day. And so then I knew I was coming back into the jewelry business. Uh, the, The building in which the old business was located was part not part of our business, if you will, between me and my sister and her husband and my wife. Um, it was my father kept the ownership of that as kind of retirement for him. And so with my sister and my ex-brother-in-law out of the picture, me and my wife uh, looked at 
the opportunity now that we had a blank slate because I bought an ongoing concern for my dad who bought the business from an ongoing concern that was established in 1896. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So it was, it was a long, long standing uh, firm that my dad had purchased. And so when we bought it in 1986, there was no need to change anything. Uh, you know, it was running fine. Um, and at that point, uh, but coming now forward to 2002, when I have a blank slate, we had an opportunity to change the name. We had to, right? Because the old business, uh, we liquidated it. So I named it after my father, who happens to, I'm the same name. Um, he, he always spelled his differently than mine because he didn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to go to the same dry cleaner he did do because it, our names and we would, you know, get things mixed up. So he spelled his name with an H, T-H-O-M, and I spelled my own T-O-M. But uh, it was nice to be able to, uh, you know, named the business after my father who spent his whole life in the jewelry industry and still living at that particular time. And uh, he was excited. And from that point on, we, uh, the rest is history. Here we are now 20 years since starting uh, a new life, basically in the jewelry industry for me. Sure. So in the early 2000s, of course, like consumer behavior was different than it was in the 80s. Consumer expectations were different and you had this blank slate and an opportunity to really like reinvent. So what were some ways that you did kind of reinvent or reinvigorate that retail experience? Well, first and foremost, it was uh, the inventory. So we had an opportunity at the particular point to um, go after brands. Uh, we Before uh, we didn't carry any major timepiece brands. It was Bulova, Seiko, Citizen. Um, and then as far as the inventory and jewelry, there was no national brands there either. And so we're located in the middle of Pittsburgh, in between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, rather. So we have our own marketplace. We have our own TV stations. We have our own radio stations. So we're far enough away from them to... Uh, metropolitan areas. Um, and what I noticed at that time that all the jewelry stores, and there was a ton of them in our market area, everybody had virtually the same type of inventory mix. And so there was not the branded store, if you will, uh, fully branded where it was Rolex, Mickey Moto, David German, all the top brands that I would consider top in each category. So at that point, uh, you know, we jumped off uh, the bridge, so to speak, and built uh, our store out, um, completely changed the image and, and the layout of the store and uh, started writing letters um, to Rolex, to Mickey Moto, to David German, to, to Corey, to back at that time with Scott K was real popular with Platinum. And so all the top brands they weren't here in our Mahoning Valley. Everybody would go to Cleveland or Pittsburgh for them. And so that was the idea. Had no guarantee. Uh, you know, uh, when we rebuilt the, the store in 2002, that any of those vendors would come. Um, but uh, here we are 20 years later, and thank God the business plan worked. Sure. That sounds very smart. Yeah. So over time in, you know, the past 20 years, is that kind of still the same strategy you use with the inventory or, or have there been other ways that you've been reinventing that experience for your customers? Yeah, we are, we are 
a, a brand driven store. Um, and again, our, the beauty of our market size is that it's not large enough to support two David German stores or two Rolex stores or two Decorey stores. So it's in that sense, you know, in all the vendors, nobody has, you know, exclusive territories um, because if they wanted to open somebody up down the street, they would uh, or could, they can. Um, but thankfully again, for the past 20 years, we've had that kind of exclusivity in our marketplace with the brands that we support and support us. And so therefore, um, that separates, that's one of our difference makers, if you will. Uh, we, we have a handful of them um, that separate us between our competition, but the first and foremost is that inventory. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So you first came onto my radar, Tom. I saw your column. It was titled, Traditional Marketing is Not Dead and Here's Why. And that was in in-store magazine in February. Yes. And it really caught my attention. So what inspired you to write that column in the first place? Um, I've been writing for in-store on and off for the past probably five years, six years. And so uh, in the beginning, actually it was uh, in the fall, um, they asked for some topics or you know if I would be willing to write some columns and what would they be on and so those were you know kind of my uh there was there was a handful of them that I submitted and uh, for sure they liked the the traditional marketing is not dead title and wanted to you know themselves hear more about it and so that's that's how that all came to to be sure why are you personally passionate about this topic um I I guess it was almost too, uh, as far as the title, is that there has been such a buzz the last five years uh, or, or maybe even longer for digital marketing. And, you know, it's everything from social media uh, to websites and, and all the different things that, you know, fall under that umbrella of digital. And it's like, no one was talking anymore about radio or TV or direct mail. And it was almost like, Doggone! I think everybody thinks traditional marketing is dead, and so that's kind of what what prompted it. Sure, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a digital marketer hater, uh, <laughs> but I I do enjoy and see results from traditional. Mm -hmm. Besides me, did you get any other responses to that article from other jewelers or? I had a few few of my peers, uh, you know, read the article and would comment, but uh, nobody that I didn't know besides, besides you. <laughs> so we were talking before and you told me about the success that you've had reaching specifically local customers in your market through some of these more traditional marketing tactics, specifically radio. Can you talk about some of these more traditional approaches and how each of those has worked for you? Sure. Um, when we run a campaign, where and there's something every month that we're going to, to run, whether it's an event or if there's no specific event, whether it's Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or a Love and Diamond event or a winter clearance or um, if there's not a specific event, then it's generally bridal, uh, a bridal message. So we're, we're out there marketing every month um, and almost every week on some type of platform, especially um, so just for, for instance, every December, um, we'll run 
a lot of David German print ads because they they some vendors like radio some don't some like nothing but digital and and some like a mix of traditional and and uh digital so Yerman still does they like billboards they like direct mail pieces and they like newspaper or magazines uh as long as full color so we run ads um all december and it still amazes me how many people come in with that ad in their hand so to me i you know i don't even have to ask if it's working or not and it tends to skew to an older demographic okay versus uh i don't know that that person has an instagram account or a facebook account they might um but for for that person that demographic um they still have disposable income to spend um and they're reading the newspaper every day so you know, I may not have reached them with my Yerman message if it was strictly, if I stayed strictly with digital. Um, and so I think that there still needs to be a, a nice mix between digital and traditional in order to reach, you know, it, it all comes down to reach. How, how much can your message penetrate into your marketplace? And what demographics are you going to reach? How many times frequency are you going to hit them with that same message? Uh, and I guarantee you, even with the, you know, my marketing budget, or, or I, let's go out on a limb and say, even with McDonald's marketing budget, they may be missing some people with their message because it's just sometimes people aren't going, you know, they're, they're not going to tune into digital or not going to tune into traditionals. They might be streaming when somebody's not listening there, they're just checking out. So it's hard to get everybody to hear your message and to act on it, but you have to, I think, get as much as you can in order to, to make that successful. Absolutely. And not just as much as you can, but also kind of like um, the repetitiveness of it too. So maybe somebody does see you here, but then they forget about it, but then they see you somewhere else and they're like, oh yeah, I, I remember now. Yeah. You know, for sure, marketing is, it's, I think it's more of a science um, than anything else. But then even with science, there's still some, some unknowns, right? And we still haven't figured some things out. And uh, yes, you have to have reach, you have to have frequency, you have to hit your right demographic, they have to be, you know, in, in that position to buy uh, whatever you're selling. And uh, if it's not today, then maybe it's the next event or next year. So yeah, you've got to stay at it for sure. I'm really curious about these people you've mentioned who actually come into the store with the piece, the print piece. What specifically are they responding to? Is it a promotion? Is it the like creative? Is it some kind of messaging in there? Like what are what's resonating with them? So the, uh, the circumstance I gave you this past December with David German, they handle all the creative. So everything uh, I've got, I get to pick, if, if you will, um, some different, whether it's going to feature ladies or going to feature men's jewelry. Um, I basically, uh, I think they put 14 different assets out uh, for for newspaper, colored newspaper and magazine. And I selected all 14 and just ran one every day for 14 days in December. Um, and so 
yes, their creative is definitely, they've got a, a larger marketing budget than I do for sure. Uh, and their creative department, I'm sure they have a whole staff. Uh, so it's nice that they handle the creative and then I just get that and all I have to do is pay for the ad space basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so that I think, I think Yerman won the product because it's always product shots and two, yeah, they're very creative in, in their layouts and you know, they know what grabs attentions and headlines and things like that. So I think asset generation is very important in what you're putting out there for sure. Sure. It's a good reminder to any listeners or viewers. And I know that they're out there that have retail partners, they're brands selling product, like not, maybe not David Yerman is listening to this, but smaller right. brands to really right. empower and support your retail partners and potentially work with them so that you can do these more traditional ad campaigns and, and it's a win-win for everyone then. Right. For sure. And then, um, for some of the listeners, if they're, I think everybody has a website, if they don't, you should, because it's, you know, it's just cost of doing business these days. And the majority of website developers out there um, do have a, a creative team, you know, obviously to lay out your homepage and what your banners and whatnot. So, you, you know, that could be a source for someone to create some, some assets from perhaps product that is not branded, just their own product, but yet have, or uh, another lead would be to go to a, a local college and go to the marketing department and um, talk to some people and, and be able to do a, a class project, creating some some asset to, for a jeweler. So there's lots of ways to be able to, to get that creative asset. But I think, yeah, for sure. Then when you have that, you, you run it on Instagram, you run it on your Facebook post, you have a picture on your Facebook cover, and, and then, uh, could match your banner on your website. And in that same graphic, you could use for an SMS text. You can use it for a newspaper ad. Um, and you do it for in-store signage on your case. So now your end, internal and external message all match. Absolutely. That's a those are really good tips. Yeah. So I'm also very interested in radio, <laughs> something I've never talked about on this podcast. I think it probably works more for a business like yours that has a specific local market, but I would love to know like how you took the plunge into that and what are some tips around having success with the radio? I used to do radio in my old business model. And I like you, I don't know, I, I never really could put my finger on the results. I didn't know really, I was just taking a lot of the radio reps that would come in the store, their ideas on how to get reach and frequency and how to reach my demographic. And um, after what I felt was, man, it wasn't successful. I stopped doing radio and started putting most of my budget in TV. Not I'm dating myself because digital marketing wasn't even an option uh, back uh, back in the early 90s when, when this was happening. And so, um, and then all through maybe the beginning of 2000s up to 2007, I was primarily direct mail and TV and uh, newspaper, but not much radio. And then um, I joined a performance group 
and there was this one radio marketer uh, named Bruce Freshly, Freshly Media. Uh, he's out of the Carolinas. And a lot of my peers in this group were using Bruce to write the radio scripts. Um, then he would record them uh, with you or with, you know, with the particular jeweler. And he would buy the radio. And he did this for jewelers all over the country. So one, he was able to come in and negotiate where I couldn't. So I had no other examples to stand on, if you will. So, um, and he made me a deal. He said, if I can't increase your business beyond, and, and we came up with, you know, beyond what was going to happen organically, what was going to happen just because of the cost of living. So on, and, and we hit this, he said, if I can't increase your number by this much, then you don't have to pay me. <laughs> wow, that seems like a pretty good deal to me. That's what I thought. I said, all right, you know, I, I wanted to get back into radio. I felt like personally, I couldn't do it very well, uh, writing my scripts and whatnot. And um, so I said, all right, I jumped in and we, we were with Bruce for several years and he really, we really seen an increase uh, in sales and revenue. And so I was a firm believer and he had a specific way that he bought radio so many during morning drive, so many during afternoon drive, so many in between that time, uh, how many spots per day. He was very specific in his buy and he stayed with that uh, specificity, you know, every week, week in, week out. That was the way. And then also as far as negotiating. Um, he, he was able to get my rate down from what I was paying. And then a um, couple of years, you know, he, we seen how he wrote his scripts and um, after paying him for, I don't know, I bet you I was with Bruce for probably four years, five years. We parted ways, not from radio, but just from his help. So now I knew how to purchase the radio. I knew what rates I should be paying. And we were writing our own scripts in-house and uh, we're still on the radio um, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the entire year. Amazing. So there's, there's, and every market is going to be different. Um, but in, and then again, every market, like I've got some friends that have several stores in Chicago and for them to buy morning drive in Chicago Compared to what morning drive is in uh, Northeast Ohio, completely different. And, and so sometimes, depending on the market that your listeners are in, radio may be prohibited. They just, just sure. can't afford it. So, but we were running uh, what we call ROS, run a station. And so then that was that specific time. Um, and then there's some of the stations. I know that we deal with Cumulus and iHeart. And, and those two behemoths are in every market. Um, and what they do is they sell radio sponsorships for the station. And it's a, a 15 second spot that happens at the top of the hour and the bottom of the hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So with some of the major radio stations, we were fortunate enough to be able to get that sponsorship. Most of the time when someone has it, they never let it go because it, it is just, it's 
reach, its frequency, its everything, you're just a little limited because you only have 15 seconds to say what you want to say. But because you're saying it so often, you could, you know, have come up with four or five different 10 or 15 second spots to say everything you would say in a 30 or 60 second spot. Um, and so we found great success with buying these sponsorships. It's a contract. It reoccurs every month. I know what my budget's going to be. And I know that we're out there 24 seven. So that has been really helpful for us. And so I would encourage some of your listeners in different markets, if that's available, check it out. Sure. Those are great tips. How do you go about testing something like radio or measuring the effectiveness of it? Is it just a general overall increase in revenue, new customers? What's the strategy behind that? Well, there was another article, I think, that followed up on the traditional marketing is not dead. And we talk about how to measure um, the ROI on any marketing. And so uh, there's a there's a mathematical formula that you can can work into um, taking out what would happen organically that comes through the store um, and, and to see if you're generating generally sometimes 2.5 times the amount of that marketing spend. So if you spend a you know a thousand dollars, then you should be generating twenty five hundred dollars in revenue in order to make that a success. Um, we look at what we do. Um, based upon total revenue, store revenue, are our sales increasing? If we're having bridal, a bridal message what, for that last 30 days, we look back, did we increase in loose diamonds? Did we increase in semi-mounts? Did we increase in ladies' wedding bands? And use that as a gauge um, for someone that hasn't, let's say radio, hasn't tried radio. I would take like a month of March where there's not a whole lot going on. Um, April tends to be bridal season. You got May for Mother's Day. Maybe take a July or, or September, a, a month that there's really not anything else. And maybe take the money that you would spend on digital or another medium, put it all into that radio for that 30-day period. And then you'll test the waters by seeing where your sales were at compared to that marketing message. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really good tip. Is there anything else that someone can expect when like trying something new or what they can kind of like set themselves up for mentally? Uh, I guess mentally, it's, it, you know, retail is we never know who's going to walk through the door every morning when we unlock it. Um, so the, there is, I think anybody that's in retail has some basis of faith in, in, what they're doing is going to pay dividends, right? So we unlock the door, we gonna, people are gonna come in and, and uh, experience our, our store, buy our product. In the same sense, if you're gonna buy radio, then you have to make sure that you do have at least a, a frequency of three, um, so that at least that, that whoever you're reaching is going to hear that message three, at least three times. That's a good indicator that, that you're buying the right type of schedule. And I would say that you need to buy at least 50, around 50 spots a week. So you can maybe try it for one week if uh, you know, your budget is, or your radio station is gonna charge you $2,000 for that week for that flight. 
and get a very compelling message. You know, if, if you put a run a really small ad in a newspaper and said the first hundred people at my door will receive a free $100 bill, no strings attached. Do you know that you, that message is going to get out there and I'm gonna have people lined up to get a free $100 bill. So the message in what you're doing has gotta be compelling. It's gotta have a hook. You know, the, there's that whole part of, of, of messaging or writing scripts. You know, it's, one's gotta be compelling, two, there's gotta be a hook, a reason for them to come in, a little bit of urgency. And if you have those components, I think that you'll see success. I, I, don't, I don't know how you wouldn't. Great. So the last time we spoke, you also mentioned you were part of a performance group. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Of other jewelers. And that was very interesting to me. I would love for you to tell me a little bit more about that and how it's helped you grow your business and just learn more. All right. So I, I maybe some other listeners can, can uh, uh, relate to this, but I was uh, in a family business and my father has been in business all all his life. So he was my mentor, my teacher. I looked up to him as I was young, you know, he was successful. And there was one of the, some of the things that he said to me have always stuck with me. Um, and then there's some of the things that he has told me that I've had to relearn or, or put them in different contexts or take them completely out of my, my thought process. Um, and one of those was he was never a firm believer in consultants. He didn't like consultants. He thought they were just there to take your money and you, you can do it without them. And I learned that they're, they're, they're consultants because they're professionals. They, they focus on that one area and they do it well. And it wasn't until I was part of the Ohio Retail Merchants Association and um, on the board of directors for years. And part of my uh, duties was education. So for the, every year we had the Ohio Jewelers Show uh, when it was up and running and prosperous, um, I was bringing in all these uh, different speakers, keynote speakers in different areas. Some had expertise in inventory, some in marketing and uh, all, the whole gamut. And um, I would listen to them and I was always getting just intrigued by you know, their thought process and how they did things. And then 2008 uh, and the marketing uh, or the housing market crash. And so then business was, everybody was hurting. And it was at that point that one of the keynote speakers was a, a gentleman by the name of Abe Sherman. And Abe was starting Plexus performance groups at the time. And the, the concept is 12 jewelers per group. I think he has got five groups now. So there's five jewelers or 12 jewelers per group. And we're in completely different states so that there's no uh, competition. Um, and then all of us have the same uh, inventory control system, if you will. We don't have the same point of sales, but what Abe was able to do on the backside, he's able to integrate everybody's information from their point of sales on a daily basis. So he's collecting all this data on inventory and sales and gross profit margins and things like that. And um, then this group comes together and we talk about everything from uh, the front side of the business to the back side of the business, uh, focusing on profit and loss statements, uh, balance sheets, 
inventory, aged inventory, gross profit margin, turn, uh, showcase turn, um, Gemroy, all of these key performance indicators, KPIs we look at and measure. And so therefore, you know, there's a, a jeweler that uh, is in a market that's very similar to mine. He's in Illinois. Um, and so then when I look at and see what he's able to do with say his marketing budget and reach. And then I look at my budget and say, hmm, am I, am I overspending or am I underspending? Um, we, so, so there's just all these comparisons. Abe Sherman asked me to join in 2010. And at that point I had been 30 years in the business. Thought I knew, I thought I knew a lot. And uh, being, you know, you do something for 30 years, you figure you ought to be pretty good at it, even if you're, you know, half blind. Um, but then I, I realized after a couple of years in this group that I, I really needed to have my eyes of understanding opened and I really didn't know half of what I thought I knew. And so I would encourage anybody to, to get into that type of group. It just, there are, uh, it just, iron sharpens iron, I guess is the best way for me to do that. And then be able to, to see other people's balance sheet and profit loss statements and uh, inventory controls and just best practices and everything, it, uh, it really has made me a much better operator. That sounds, it's very inspiring to me. And also I love that you're so honest about the fact that, you know, you went this long, you kind of thought you knew, I mean, you must've known something because you didn't go out of business, but to really be able to open your mind and to learn new things, even after running a business for that long, I think is really amazing. Oh, for sure. Thank you. And, uh, it, uh, yeah, I, I can't, uh, I can't be a, a big enough advocate for, for that group. And some, some buying groups I know, like, uh, uh, RJO and IJO, I, they have that to a certain degree, right. You know, when they gather, um, so you've got jewelers from all over and they, they do, uh, breakout sessions and things like that. Um, it just doesn't, it's not as deep and it's not as consistent. We meet, uh, every month uh, on a webinar like this and uh, we talk uh, and then twice a year we go on site to one of the host stores and we look at their 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 entire operation that must be so valuable too kind of like a field trip <laughs> yeah exactly you know it's uh, sometimes when we you know live in the forest we don't see the trees um and then you get another fresh set of eyes that come in and you know they say your, your showcase glass tops, right? Women put purses down that have metal bottoms or whatever, but they always get scratched. And, you know, that's probably the last thing on a jeweler's mind is to replace all of his glass tops on his showcase because there's scratches on it. But when you stand back and you look at someone else's and you're trying to look at the jewelry and you see all those scratches, it, you know what? I need to replace my glass tops every five years. I don't need that. You know, you, you get into that mindset. Okay. It's been five years. I better paint the walls. I better change the carpet because we, we tend to, I guess I, I shouldn't say we, I tended to say, it's okay. It can go another year. I don't want to incur that expense now, but no, I, I've got to the place where there's a lot of 
best practices that I've adopted. Uh, every five years, I'm remodeling my store. I, I just, it, it adds to the customer experience. It, it is, you know, things don't look tired. And sometimes you need someone else that shock value to come and say, what's wrong with you, man? Change them glass tops. Look at that. You know, your, your ceiling tiles have got a little water stain over there. Replace that. Well, yeah. if I replace that one, then I got to replace them all because it'll be to replace them all. And it'll pay dividends. It does. So. It's important. It's a good reminder, I think, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, Tom, what else do you have going on in your business right now? What's on the horizon for you? Well, we just ended a uh, two-week, what we call love and diamond event. And so it's love diamonds, everything diamonds from uh, bridal to diamond earrings. Um, and I, we kind of whether you're celebrating new love or lasting love is, is kind of our, our, our tag there. And so we, we hit people that are, April is obviously wedding month. The people start looking for wedding bands for summer weddings and um, upgrades and birthdays, anniversaries and so on. So that was very successful. We just finished that this past Saturday and now, uh, now we're on to Mother's Day. So. And busy times yeah before you know it, we're going to be working on our december christmas marketing it's just yeah the years go by so fast it happens very quickly yes yes well thank you so much for your time today for sharing your knowledge and wisdom and the experience you've had and all this time in the industry i really appreciate it you're welcome i enjoy uh helping uh, anybody that I can and just hopefully all my competitors in uh, my marketplace aren't listening to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I'll block them from this. <laughs> Thank but you, yeah, Tom. Uh, yeah, if, you, if anybody just reach out and I'll be happy to, to share. What did you think? If you want to learn more about Tom's store, Tom Duma Fine Jewelers in Warren, Ohio, you can visit www tdfj.com. And you can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com book for more information. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with Joy Joya, visit joyjoya.com, where you can sign up to download our free eBooks about various topics in jewelry marketing.